Hello, welcome back to another edition of the My Two Cents Podcast, Wrestling Highlights of the Week edition. I am your host, G2, and I am here to talk to you guys about what happens in the world of professional wrestling from your Raw, SmackDown, NXT, uh, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage. No Impact Wrestling this week because Impact Wrestling, they would show you uh, matches that happened while they were over in Scotland, I presume. Well, Scotland, Glasgow, you know what I'm talking about. They were over there. They were doing their European trip that they had uh, last week. So they will show a match that happened over there. I don't think it really progressed any of the storylines that's happening over in Impact. So that's the reason why I'm not covering Impact this week. So you will get no Impact wrestling results this week on this episode. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. So we start with Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw would open up with Rhea Ripley, J.D. McDonough, and Dominic Mysterio coming down to the ring. Rhea will talk about Judgment Day running Raw. As usual, Rhea will talk about Priest shattering Cody's leg, well, ankle last week on Raw, mentioning Dominic going against Ricochet tonight, J.D. McDonough going against Seth Rollins. Rhea will say that Seth and Drew have a decision to make, and whoever makes the right decision will come out as World Heavyweight Champion at Crown Jewel. Rhea will talk about her match at Crown Jewel, saying that she plans on leaving Crown Jewel as still Women's World Champion. That's when Sami Zayn will come out and interrupt Rhea Ripley. Sami will say that he is going to continue to fight Judgment Day until they have fallen, as he's been doing for the last six months. Rhea will say, why don't Sami fight Damian Priest tonight in the main event? So that match will be made official. And it looks as Rhea, JD, and Dominic were surrounding Sami Zayn. Ricochet would run down to the ring to save Sammy before anything happens, and then we turn into our first match of the night with Ricochet going against Dominic Mysterio. Dominic had uh, Rhea and JD in his corner, but Ricochet didn't have Sammy. Sammy just went directly to the back. Ricochet would lose the match to Dominic by interference when Ricochet was on the top turnbuckle, and Rhea would get on the apron and strike the referee. This allowed JD McDonough to get on the apron and go after Ricochet. Ricochet would drop off the top turnbuckle, go after... McDonough. McDonough would drop off. This allowed Dominic Mysterio to roll up Ricochet and also put his feet on the ropes. So he'll add a leverage. That's how Dominic Mysterio would win the match. Now after the match, Ricochet would get some retribution on Judgment Day by super kicking JD, then hitting a recoil on Dominic. Rhea Ripley would drag Dominic out of the ring before Ricochet could hit a top turnbuckle maneuver onto Dominic's body. So that's how this segment would end. Now, next up, we have a tag matchup. Alpha Academy going against the Creed Brothers. Um, This is the first time the Creed Brothers have been on main roster television, so they made the most out of it. The Creed Brothers would win their debut match on the main roster by pinfall when Julius would hold up Otis on his shoulders and Brutus would hit a Brutus ball onto Otis for the win. A solid match between Alpha Academy and... The Creed Brothers, you would think with both teams having legit amateur wrestling backgrounds, the match would have been much more crisper at the beginning than what it was. At the beginning, you got to see the amateur technique of uh, Julius and Chad Gable with one another. Then we got to see a trade-off to Otis and Brutus, but Otis and Brutus didn't really get much into the amateur wrestling aspect because Otis is... Basically, I'm not going to lie to you, he's just too big, so he can't really do the amateur wrestling stuff the way that Brutus could do with someone else. But Brutus and Otis, their whole deal was nothing but just going after each other with power. 
you got more of the athletic nature from Julius and Chad Gable. But let's not get it twisted. Brutus, he was still able to hit a moonsault, a standing moonsault, onto Otis later in the night. Well, later in the match. Now, you would see, like, towards the end of the match, um, Julius pulling off a 450 splash onto Otis in the back, and then Chad Gable would hit a moonsault onto Julius. I mean, towards the end of the match, it started to cook up, and both teams were throwing everything at each other, so I'm not complaining about that. It's just that you would think this would be the perfect debut match on the main roster for the Creed Brothers to be going against the Alpha Academy. It would have just been more... I'm not going to say better than what it was, because let's not get it twisted. It still was not a bad match. Yes, it was clunky at the beginning a little bit, but they were able still to find their way. It just would have been a little bit more better if it just didn't have those clunks at the beginning. But still, a solid match from the Creed Brothers and Alpha Academy. But when you have both teams with the accolades, with the star power that both teams can do as a team, you would at least thought it would just be better, better than what it was. But it was still a good, solid tag match. I don't want to seem like I'm crapping on it. Believe me, I'm not. It's just... The beginning parts was clunky, but towards the end, they found the rhythm and they were actually able to do what needed to be done. Now, we move over into Miz TV, and Miz TV was supposed to have Gunther as his guest. At first, Gunther would not come out when Miz introduced him. Out would walk Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci. Ludwig would tell Miz that Gunther isn't going to come out just because Miz wants him to. Ludwig would call Miz a joke. Miz would say that at least he has never been called a sidekick in his career. Then turns to Giovanni Vinci and say that you must be the third wheel then. Giovanni would speak up for himself and Miz would mock and tell everybody to applaud because Giovanni finally spoke. Uh, he is surprised of that because Gunther and Ludwig basically doesn't allow Giovanni to speak. And he would say, don't you speak whenever Gunther and Ludwig tell you to speak? So Giovanni, again, would speak up for himself, saying, no, I speak for myself. And that's whenever Ludwig would turn over to Giovanni and just, like, snap at him and reinforce what Miz basically said. You will speak whenever I or Gunther tell you to speak. So we would get Gunther's music hit. Gunther would come down to the ring. And Gunther would say the exact same thing every, like, wrestler has told the Miz that Miz is a sports entertainer and isn't capable of getting it done in the ring bell to bell. This is the same exact PowerPoint presentation that wrestlers have been doing to The Miz ever since Brian Danielson did that to The Miz. I mean, before that, you had literal storylines of good guy versus bad guy with Miz, with Miz and uh, John Cena, Miz and MVP. You were actually able to get other things contributed into a storyline, but whenever Miz is going against a pure wrestler like a Brian Danson, like a Gunther, like even a Ricochet, or even from time to time when I believe John Moxley was in WWE as Dean Ambrose, he would like get at Miz for that. Um, Miz, he just takes it on the chin and he would tell Gunther, listen, I'm able to get serious in the ring when I feel like it. I was serious whenever I took the WWE Championship away from Randy Orton for my first time. I was serious when I won in the main event against John Cena. I was serious when I won the WWE Championship almost a decade later. And I was serious whenever I made that Intercontinental Championship the most prestigious championship in all of WWE. And Miz, he does have a point. 
Because in, I believe, 2016, Miz didn't make the Intercontinental Championship really important. You can look back in 2016, and when Miz was holding that Intercontinental title, he made that thing feel important that year specifically because you had that year. Uh, he took it off of Zack Ryder, but then he had the triple fatal four-way match. It was him, uh, Cesaro, Sammy, and Kevin Owens. He had the feud with Dolph whenever the brand split just came about. And even when he lost the tat, the Intercontinental title to Dolph and regained it back, he was still able to have credible matches and make that Intercontinental title be significantly prestigious. So Miz says this is Gunther, and he looks like he wants to take that Intercontinental title back from Gunther. So it seems that we're having a Miz kind of like turning into a good guy moment here. Uh, Imperium, you will see Ludwig Kaiser grab a pumpkin. He looks like he's trying to go after the Miz with it. Miz would uh, get a shot off on Ludwig Kaiser, get a shot off on Gianni Vinci. He'll get put on his butt by Gunther. Gunther would still talk smack to Miz. Then you would see Ludwig and Giovanni hold up Miz, and Gunther would big boot him, and Miz would then roll out of the ring. Now, this will lead to Miz leaving the ring, walking to the back, and we'll go to our next matchup. It's a tag matchup. DIY going against Imperium. DIY would win the match by pinfall by hit meat in the middle onto Giovanni Vinci for the win. Solid tag match. It was, uh, I believe, DIY's first tag match in four years. They mentioned that. So, hey, they were able to do good. It was a solid tag match. And the gist of this tag match literally was for uh, it to still build tension with Giovanni Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser. Because, again, Ludwig Kaiser is supposed to be the babysitter of Giovanni Vinci. Giovanni Vinci starting to feel some type of way. So, again, we're still diving into the whole I'm hating you guys right now, but I'm not gonna I'm not fully prepared to lash out the way that G Vinci wants to lash out. So again, we're slowly building on to that point. And this match was just another block on that uh road that we're on. Now next up we have Candice LeRae with Indy Harwell in her corner going against Zia Lee. Zaya would win the match due to referee stoppage. When Zaya would hit Candice in the head with a spinning kick, the referee will look at Candice and see that Candice is out, uh, kind of get Candice to her feet. Candice would kind of walk to the turnbuckle, drop down to the bottom turnbuckle. The referee would see it, call for the bell. And this is kind of going into something that I don't think people has really talked about. I mean, people on social media have talked about it, but I believe... Uh, it was John Moxley. Moxley talked about how whenever he got concussed, he wants new concussion protocols to be put in place. And I think the WWE is just playing off into that to show you that they are listening to the talks on social media because that was a nice talking point where John Moxley brought that up. So I think WWE wants to like play onto that with the whole concussion situation. Not saying that Candace got a concussion, but she was out for a little bit. So, again, they're playing into that. I think they want to make it a thing with Xia Lee. And I, and I ain't got no beef with it neither. Xia Lee, she hasn't been on TV in some time. So, for her to get this knockout or conscious kick on Candice, I hope that this leads to something for Xia Lee. And it seems that it would because later in the night you will see uh, Xia Lee get into a situation with Becky backstage and... Zaya 
it seems that Zaya is starting to build on to something with Becky because she was supposed to get an NXT Women's Championship match against Becky if Becky would have retained his live Valkyria last week, but that just did not happen. So it seems that we're building something to uh, Zaya and Becky, and I got no beef with that. As long as we build up new stars, that's all that really matters, and Zaya having this opportunity is a good thing. Now, next up, we will go to Seth Rollins going against J.D. McDonough. Seth would win the match by pinfall by hitting a pedigree, then a curb stomp for the win. Now, towards the end of the match, you will see Dominic, not Dominic, Damian Priest come out with the money in the bank briefcase. He comes out with a referee. It seems that Damian might cash in, but he doesn't. This was nothing but just to placate and just make Seth weary of his surroundings. That's all it was. And this match was to give Seth some momentum as he goes into Crown Jewel going against Drew McIntyre for the World Heavyweight Championship. Next up, we have a trigger street fight match between Natalia, Chelsea Green with Piper Nivet in Chelsea's corner. Chelsea would win the match by pinfall by hitting I'm Prettier for the win. Uh, nothing really much to say about this match. This was your typical holiday uh, gimmicky matchup. That's all it was. Uh, Chelsea and Natalia, they both dress up as a heart foundation. Um, Natalia, she dressed up as a sexy kitten or sexy cat. Either way, um, again, nothing really much to talk about here, to be completely honest with that one. Next up, main event time. Damian Priest going against Sami Zayn. Uh, Priest, he would win the match by disqualification. When Jey Uso would come down to the ring and superkick Priest in the ring, referee would see it, call for the bell. Jay Uso comes down because the usual Judgment Day business will happen. You will see Dominic, you will see Finn come down to help out Damian Priest. So Jay, he just couldn't handle anymore. So that's the reason why he came out here to take care of the whole Judgment Day fiasco. So when the ref sees Jay super kick Damian Priest, the ref will call for the bell. And now you have a three on two situation. And it will get evened up when Cody Rhodes will pop out. Cody will come down to the ring. He'll start going against Damian Priest. Um, you will see Sammy and Jay. They take care of Finn and Dominic outside of the ring. Cody, he brings Priest to the commentator's table. And they're fighting on top of the commentator's table. J.D. McDonough will pop out of nowhere, drag Priest off of the commentary table. Get him over to the corner, and Priest would leave, like leave the arena from that corner into the crowd. And Sammy, he would hit JD McDonough with a Lua kick right into the barricade. Cody would ask for Sammy to bring JD over to the commentator's table. Sammy does so. Cody would hit two crossroads on the commentator's table onto JD. Then Cody would get a microphone, and Cody would talk to Priest. Cody would get at Priest for being this big guy with his years of wrestling experience at his belt, but he is a walk-behinder. He's not the leader of the Judgment Day. He's behind Finn Balor. He's behind Rhea Ripley, and he's even behind Dominic Mysterio. Cody would say that he is on his path to winning and finishing his story because in any circumstances, it will always be him. So Cody is making this his mission. He's going to start his path to finishing the story with Crown Jewel, with 
Damian Priest, and that's how Monday Night Raw would end. So with saying that, that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to NXT, and this is NXT's uh, special edition of Halloween Havoc. This is night two of it. And we will first start off with the tables, ladders, and scares match between Creed Brothers and Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo. It's table, ladders, and chairs, but since the Halloween Havoc theme, they put scares there. Uh, Creed Brothers would win the match by pinfall. The Creeds would hit a Brutus device on, I believe it's Angel Garza through tables to win the match. No, it was through Humberto Carrillo, because Angel Garza went through a table outside of the ring. So there we go. Uh, hit Brutus device onto Humberto Carrillo through tables in the middle of the ring to win the match. Solid way to start off NXT's uh, Halloween Havoc Night 2. This was a brutal match between both of the teams. Julius Creed took a lot of punishment to his back. Um, he will leave the match with, I mean, just welts on his back. He got uh, suplexed off of the second turnbuckle by both Garza, Andrew Garza and Huberto onto a ladder. He would get hit in the back with the ladder by Angel because you see Julius and Angel both exchanging shots with each other to the back with chairs. Um, dude, Julius Creed went through a lot in here. Brutus, he was the power of the two between himself and Julius, but Julius just went through a lot. Um, as I said, solid tag match for both teams with the Creed brothers now winning on Raw and now NXT. We'll see what's left for them to do. Hopefully there's more for them to do, but I think they're more likely going to go into the main roster and do the whole switching back and forth deal that a lot of people have been doing. And I, again, have no beef with that. It seems that it's more of a Raw and NXT thing. But it seems that SmackDown might be getting into the mix of it too because it seems that OTM out of the mud, uh, the group that Scripps is kind of running, it seems that they're still having beef with Brawling Brutes because they would have a backstage like segment for explaining. Scripps would explain himself saying, yeah, he... Is Reggie, but he had to play down and dumb it down himself for it to be digestible for the people at home. And that's kind of the experience that a lot of black people technically have to do. They have to dumb it down or either having to heighten themselves and hide their real true selves from the people out there in the world for themselves to be digestible. So for Reggie, or better known as Scripps now, as his name in NXT, to see that he had to dumb himself down and make himself digestible for people to accept him and for him to go back to NXT and hook up with uh, Nima and Lucian. It just seems that OTM are a group. Scripps is himself and with uh, Scripps talking about how Brawling Bruce cost OTM a shot at the NXT Tag Team titles. Brawling Bruce is going to be having to go back and forth from SmackDown to NXT week to week, and I have no beef with that because as I just said previously, it seems that a lot of people are going back and forth from the main roster to the NXT brand, and I think that's great because it heightens up the NXT uh, brand. Now, next up we have Tiffany Stratton going against Fallon Henley, but that match never does take place because Fallon would come out, and during her entrance Tiffany would attack her from behind. Tiffany would get the better of Fallon and uh Bust her knee over to the ring post. She'll lift her up, hit her knee to the ring post, uh, lock her into a figure four on the ring post, and hold it there until referees will come down to separate Tiffany from Fallon. And that's basically it. We never got the match between the two ladies. Fallon, she's out right now. 
and Tiffany, she's got the last laugh. So with this being a deal with Fallon and Tiffany, expect somebody from the NXT women's roster to take up for Fallon. Um, Fallon is a likable person in the NXT women's division, so I would like to see who's basically going to come back to go after Tiffany for that. It might be a surprise Wendy Chu. It might be uh, Nikita Lyons returning. I don't know who it could be, but I'm not mad at any of those options because we haven't seen Nikita for some time. She's been injured. Wendy, she's been gone for NXT for some time. I don't know what's up with her. Um, There's probably some other people that I'm probably forgetting, probably some even the newer uh, women that came out from this breakout tournament could probably stand up for Fallon, or we can get the return of Sol Ruka. Sol has to deal with Blair Davenport. But again, a lot of things going on, but Tiffany's in the mix with the women's division. I'm happy to see this. So Tiffany's going to be mixing it up with someone soon because someone's going to take up the part of Fallon because that's usually what happens with a lot of these rivalries when someone goes down with an injury or they're having a storyline injury someone usually would come up to pick up the mantle to defend their honor so i can't wait to see who's going to do that for fallon here against tiffany now next up we have a north american championship match nathan frazier going against the champion dominic mysterio with Rhea ripley in his corner dominic would win the match by pinfall hitting a frog splash on nathan after nathan was going to go for the phoenix splash but dominic would shove nathan out of the ring onto the commentator's table. This would knock Nathan out, and this allowed Dominic to hit a frost splash on Nathan Frazier inside of the ring for the win. Solid match between Nathan Frazier and Dominic Mysterio. As usual, people were chanting for Rhea Ripley because people liked the character that Rhea Ripley and Dominic have, that pairing that those two have. is a, It's a natural thing, commonly. It's a thing that's been going on for months. So, that happened here, but in this match, you got to see people actually cheering for Dominic as well. I think the NXT uh, audience is cheering for Dom because they see how much he's putting into this. They see how much he's putting into his matches for the North American Championship, seeing the passion, seeing the effort that he's making to actually get better in the ring. And Dominic, he's grown leaps and bounds in the ring from joining Judgment Day literally last year to him now. You can literally see he is a different person from inside the ring to the character to the appearance. He's literally different in every uh, way. And I feel that not only being on the main roster, being with the Judgment Day has helped, but being down there in NXT whenever he's down there doing this stuff, before he was NXT North American Champion, when he would just come down there occasionally from time to time, to him now being North American Champion, being on the NXT shows, if not week by week, literally bi-weekly, you see Dominic and Rhea on there, and he'll actually have a match, or he'll have a segment that'll lead into a match the next time you see him. Dominic has been growing leaps and bounds, and I'm glad that we're seeing that from Dom here, and I think the NXT crowd during this match, they realized that, and that's the reason why you saw the NXT crowd cheering for Dominic in this match against Nathan, because usually it'd just be a straight-up boo, we want the other person to win against Dom, but it just seems that we got people cheering for Dom, and it might translate over to the main roster. It might not. It just might stay an NXT crowd thing, but that's one thing I did pick out in this match. Uh, Nathan versus Dom, solid, straight match between the two, but that's the one big thing I did take out of that. It seems that the NXT audience is actually liking what Dominic is doing, and they actually like that he's putting in the work effort to get better, and especially in front of them. Um, next up, we have Braun Breaker going against Mr. Stone. 
Braun Breaker would win the match by pinfall. Wasn't so shocking because you know the dynamics. Braun Breaker, he's actually a star. He's um, uh, NXT main eventer. You know how he's positioned. Going against Mr. Stone, who is a manager for Von Wagner, his client. They got took out by Braun Breaker. Uh, they would say what was a month ago, two months ago. So with Mr. Stone trying to get some revenge for his client and his friend, Von Wagner, it just didn't happen. Braun Breaker, he did what he could do. At first, you see uh, Robert Stone kind of just like slap Braun to kind of keep Braun away. Braun will go after him, but you knew what time it was. Once Braun got his hand on Mr. Stone, it was over, and that's exactly what it was. Now, after the match, you would see Braun drag Stone out of the ring, and he looks to do the exact same thing to Stone what he did to Von Wagner by smashing his head with steel steps. However, that does not happen because Von Wagner would make the save. Von will come out. He has his head wrapped because he's still uh, selling the effects of the steel steps hitting his head. So you see Von go over to Braun. They do battle a little bit. Von would choke slam Braun Breaker onto the bottom steps. And you see Von Wagner trying to get his measure of revenge by grabbing the top steps and looking to smash it onto Braun Breaker's head, but Braun would roll out of the way and move, and you see security come down to grab Vaughn to make sure he doesn't get at Braun, and this allowed Braun to literally, like, walk to the back, and Braun, he looks a little bit scared because you wouldn't think as the big bully, you just got done smashing somebody's head in two months ago, they'll be coming right back, trying to get back at you. Von Wagner, he's different, he's coming at you because of what you've done to him, and not only just him, you try to take out his best friend that has been trying to get Vaughn to open himself up. So with that being the case now, Vaughn Wagner would tell Mr. Stone later in the night that he wants to have a match with Braun next week. Mr. Stone being Vaughn Wagner's friend, he would tell him he doesn't need to do this because he's not fully recovered yet. Vaughn will say, just make the match, and it will be made official next week. We will be getting Von Wagner going against Braun Breaker in a match. So we have that. Now, next up, we have the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships being defended with JC Jane and Thea Hale with Andre Chase and Duke Hudson in their corner going against the champions, Chelsea Green and Piper Niven. Chelsea and Piper would retain their championships by pinfall when JC and Chelsea were both down on the mat. Duke would try to hype everyone up and be on the apron doing this. The referee would be distracted by this, try to get Duke down, and you would see JC like crawled over to her tag corner and see the NXT tag titles laying there. She grabs it, and you see that she's about to use it, but Andre Chase would take the tag team titles away from JC and tell her, you don't need to do this. We don't do this type of stuff at Chase U. We win by honor, all that good yada yada stuff. JC, she would look at Andre Chase with just like, a why type of face. Why are you not giving me the title? And this allowed Chelsea Green to hit the I'm prettier on JC to win and retain her women's tag team titles. Now, after this, you will see the tag team of Chelsea and Piper walk up the ramp looking at Thea Hale, looking at JC Jane in the ring. Thea Hale, she's having her hands over her face trying to figure out what just happened. Duke's trying to console her. JC, she's pissed, and she's looking at Andre Chase pissed. And on the NXT perch, you will see Alba Fire and Isla Dawn, who are the people that's running night two of Halloween Havoc here, looking at 
Chelsea and Piper because they want a shot at those women's tag team titles. So it seems that that's where we're going next with the women's tag team championships right there. And also with JC and Thea Hale and Andre Chase and Duke Hudson, the whole Chase U thing, it seems that we're getting to muddier waters because before the match will even begin, by the way, backstage, you had a confrontation with Tony D'Angelo and Stax with Andre Chase and Duke Hudson. And Tony and Stax would basically remind Andre Chase that they did something for him and they're coming to collect on that. And they also are going to collect on their NXT tag team titles as well. And they will walk away and Duke Hudson will look at Andre Chase and ask him, what was that all about? And Andre says, don't worry, I'll handle it. So right now we still have the mystery of what did Tony D'Angelo and Stax do for Andre Chase that nobody else knows and what is Thea Hale and JC going to do now to Andre Chase? Because, again, it's Andre Chase that cost Thea Hale an opportunity at becoming a champion. At, I believe it was the Great American Bash. It was, um, nope, was it the Bash? I want to say so. It was Thea Hale and Tiffany Stratton submission match. Uh, Chase was throwing the towel. That's how Thea never won the NXT Women's Championship. And now here with JC wanting to use the NXT tag team titles, Andre Chase pulling the title away from JC, again, costing Thea Hale another opportunity of becoming a champion. So we're going to move into that story more and more next week. And again, they're keeping everybody intrigued in what's going down in NXT. And that's what I like. Stories on top of stories on top of stories. And that's what we got here. Now, next up, we would get the NXT breakout tournament finals between Kalani Jordan Going against Lola Vice, who has Electra Lopez in her corner. Lola Vice would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Electra interfering, when Kalani would go for a split-legged moonsault, but Electra would get on the apron and distract her. Uh, the referee would make Electra get off the apron. Kalani would go for the moonsault, but Lola would move out of the way, and this allowed Lola to hit a roundhouse kick on Kalani to win the match. And now Lola Vice is your NXT breakout tournament winner so now with that she now has the opportunity to basically cash in on a NXT championship matchup anytime of her choosing so she can go after the NXT well it's no longer that the women's championship women tag team titles or she can go after the NXT championship so that's what we could do with Lola it's all on her decision to do so I have no problem with this I don't think anybody technically had a problem with it going to be either Kalani Jordan or Lola Vice. Those two being the in the main event, not the main event, but in the finals of this tournament, I think everybody kind of saw that coming because with Lola Vice's uh, social media presence, her background of being a former MMA fighter that had a little bit of buzz before she got signed to WWE, that's that. And also with Kalani Jordan, she just had a thing with Dana Brooke before she got axed out of WWE. You saw they were trying to do something with Kalani. Um, so, again, they were putting stock into Kalani, and they put stock into Lola Vice. So, those two being in the finals, it wasn't shocking to anyone, and it was a 50-50 between who could have won this. And with them going with Lola, I don't think nobody's mad at it. I'm not. So, congrats to Lola Vice for winning the tournament. And I'm pretty sure they're going to have something up their uh, sleeves for Kalani Jordan to do, because they're not just going to leave her out in the cold. Now, we go over to the main event, the NXT Championship matchup. 
Carmelo Hayes going against Ilya Dragunov. Ilya would retain his championship by pinfall by hitting the Moscow, well, Torpedo Moscow on Carmelo Hayes for the win. But the big thing about this match was Trick Williams would make his return here. Trick Williams, I believe he got took out three weeks ago on NXT by a mystery assailant. And when Trick Williams comes out in this match, you would see Carmelo kind of be shocked at this because Carmelo kind of had the match won when Trick comes out. Carmelo, only thing that he needed to hit was nothing but net, and he's about to do it. But Trick Williams' music would hit, and Melo would just look like he saw a ghost. And even commentary would mention that. And that's how, basically, Ilya took advantage. He would get up there, hit Melo. He would hit him with a superplex and then go for a torpedo Moscow to win the match. Uh... Carmelo and Ilya, they had a solid match on NXT main event. This wasn't like their match at the Great American Bash or um, at No Mercy. It was NXT main event standard match for free television. It went hard, but it wasn't as hard as their first two matches. If anything, I'll put this on the bottom of their three matches. But again, it's supposed to be that because it's not a premium live event match. So I'm not mad at them for doing what they did do here. But it isn't like they were just like chopped liver here. No, they still threw out a good match for everyone to enjoy. But the thing was, it built up to the crescendo, the final of the reveal of Trick Williams being back here. That's all it was really built up into. Now, once Ilya wins the match, he leaves the ring. You get this moment where Trick Williams would get in the ring and he just has this look on his face. He would get in the ring, he'll walk over to Melo, he would pick Melo up, and you would see Melo kind of looking at him with a dog-like worried look on his face. And Trick, he doesn't change his face, he's still looking at Melo, he's looking at him like a deterred look. And it seems to me that we're getting Trick going against Melo here. It kind of gets insinuated that Trick is saying that Melo did this to him. And a lot of people were speculating that it could be Melo that did this to him or it could be Wesley. Now, I'm not saying it's not Wesley because they're trying to, they might be throwing us a little uh, red herring here because Wesley did make his return on NXT as well, but he did it earlier after Dominic won his match against Nathan Frazier. Wesley would attack Dominic after the match, and it seems that Wes is going after the North American Championship. But who's to say that Wes isn't going after? the North American title, and also causing a friction between Trick and Mello. Because the last time we saw Wes before he left for his little uh, vacation or wherever he did for this time away that he was away from NXT, Wes was cleaning out his locker and he heard the conversation between Mello and Trick. And what a surprise. The time that Trick comes back on NXT TV, Wes is back on NXT TV. So again, we could be Throwing people off. WWE could be throwing people off and saying, no, it's Melo that did it instead of Wes. But again, right now we're having the thing whether it is Melo or Wes that attacked Trick. Right now it seems that Trick is having his eyes focused on Melo and we got to figure that out because Trick doesn't say nothing to Melo. He just stares at him. But it would quickly turn to backstage and backstage you would see uh, Ilya on the ground and Baron Corbin, he's standing above uh, down Ilya Dragunov, and he's holding the NXT title, and he told him, I told you to watch your back, keep your head on the swivel. 
and Baron has made his uh, notions pretty clear. He's going after that NXT championship, and he's next in line. So it seems that's what we're building into next. Ilya going against Baron Corbin for the NXT championship, and hopefully next week we get some type of meaning for why Trick kind of costs his friend, quote-unquote, uh, Mello, the NXT championship. Hopefully that's what we get next week on uh, NXT. And also, they have admitted that they're bringing back the uh, gauntlet matchup that they did at last year's NXT deadline. So they're bringing back the gauntlet King of the Mountain style match. I don't remember the name of it right now. But they're going to be having qualifying matches for that next week. So we had that also set for next week of NXT. As well as uh, Noam Dar defending the NXT Heritage Cup against Akira Tozawa. Because they did the Halloween Havoc uh, house torture thing that they've been doing for the past, what, since 2021. First time they did it was Johnny Gargano took the NXT North American title away from Melo. Melo and Trick had to get it from the Haunted House last year. It was... Toxic Attraction, and I don't remember who, oh yeah, uh, Alba Fire, and this year they continue it here with Akira Tozawa taking the North American, not the North American, but the Heritage Cup away from Metaphor, and Metaphor had to go into the Haunted House to get it back, so yeah, next week, Noam Dar, Akira Tozawa for the NXT Heritage Cup, and the qualifying matches for the Gauntlet, King of the Mountain style matches that's set up at Deadline as well. So that is what's set for NXT next week. And I think that's it. Now, with that being said, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we turn over into AEW Dynamite. Before I do so, I have to talk about what happened on Collision. The biggest thing that happened on AEW Collision was MJF defending the AEW World Championship against Kenny Omega. And this was the match to see if MJF was going to well, be the longest reigning world champion or whether Kenny was going to keep his record. As you know, MGF would defeat Kenny Omega in a great match. I believe they had 30 minutes to wrestle on collision and they used all 30 minutes. I mean, you saw Kenny and MGF go back and forth. Kenny Omega hit a powerbomb off the apron through a table outside of the ring. He hits MJF with multiple V-triggers throughout the match, and Kenny almost won the match if it wouldn't have been for Don Callis. Don Callis would come down to the ring. He would uh, act like he's going to get in the ring with a screwdriver, and this allowed Kenny to take his focus off the match, and with this doing so, MJF, he would basically take advantage. MJF would hit a Panama Sunrise onto Kenny, hit him with a Heat Seeker, win the match, to become the longest reigning AEW World Champion. After the match, Kenny and MJF, they would shake hands, show each other respect. So that was Collision, basically. That was the big thing that came out of Collision. Uh, now we go over into Dynamite, and the first thing that we start off with is a backstage segment with Renee Paquette and MJF. MJF would have Adam Cole on the screen, and it's like a FaceTime moment, and Adam Cole will tell MJF that he's happy that uh, MJF is the longest reigning AEW World Champion. He just wished that he could have been there. And he would give MJF some advice because MJF needed to find three tag partners because he has to go against uh, the Bullet Club Gold. And if MJF and his team wins against Bullet Club Gold, he gets his AEW World Championship back. Adam Cole would tell MJF, listen, I'm not there and that's a bad thing, but I've seen what's been going on and you probably want to take up some old Joe's. Help. 
Now, Samoa Joe, he's told MGF uh, last week, and he even told MGF on Collision that if MGF needed him, he's only one call away. But the condition is he wants a rematch for the AEW World Title. So throughout the night, you will see MGF try to recruit people to be on his team. He would go over to uh, Kenny Omega's locker room, and inside was Chris Jericho, and Chris Jericho would just shut the door. And when MGF would walk away, Warlow would just bum rush MGF and tell them directly to his face, you ruined everything from me. Now I'm going to do the exact same thing to you. I'm going to take everything from you and I'm going to do it when you least expect it. So that's already one person popping out the will works for MGF Warlow, who Warlow has a gripe and a legitimate right to be upset at MGF. He has that here. Uh, later, you will see MGF try to go over, and you think that he's going to knock on Darby Allen's door, but he doesn't. He would just instead take Darby Allen's name tag off the door and write emo bitch on it. So again, that still has the feud of Darby and MGF still in the works there, and I think those are just still planting seeds for whenever they actually do wrestle again. Uh MGF, he would walk up to Samoa Joe's door. He wouldn't tap on it because, again, he doesn't want to have Samoa Joe being in his... He doesn't want to owe Samoa Joe anything. So, Samoa Joe's off the table. Uh, the Acclaim, they would constantly try to have Max uh, choose them to be his tag partners for the main event. MGF will constantly say no. So, we will have to see what happens on the main event. But, now, moving away from that, we'll get to our first match of the night. It's for the International Championship. We have Orange Cassidy, the champion, going against the challenger, Claudio Castagnoli. Orange would retain his championship by pinfall when Orange would counter Claudio's pop-up uh, European uppercut, when Orange would land on Claudio's shoulders and hit a Hurricane Rana for the win. Solid match to open up Dynamite with Orange Cassidy, Claudio Castagnoli. Claudio, he was just superior in this match against Orange. Orange was able to get some couple hits off. He was able to hit a Superman punch and even a beach break, but this match was mainly dominated by Claudio because Claudio is just taller, stronger, even faster than uh, Orange and even strikes harder than Orange. I mean, in every attribute that you think of, Claudio is better than Orange, but just Orange was just able to sneak out a win against Claudio here. So that's what this match was really all about. Um, after the match, Orange would roll out of the ring. He's at the end of the ramp. John Moxley's music would hit. He would come to the ring through the crowd as he usually does. Orange Cassidy, he still has beef with Moxley because Moxley took the international title away from him at All Out. So Orange would rush into the ring and Orange would proceed to get beat down by Moxley because Orange is still tired after his match with Claudio. So Moxley would continue to beat up on Orange. Claudio would just not pay attention to it. Security guards would rush into the ring. Moxley would take care of one of the guards. Claudio would take care of the other. And then Mox would go right back to beating up on Orange. Claudio would see enough of it. He'll deadlift Moxley off of Orange. And Moxley will leave the ring. And we would get set up with a match between Orange Cassidy and John Moxley at full gear for the International Championship. So this is going to be the rematch between both of the men. Now, next up, we have the Ring of Honor six-man championships being defended here. The Mogul Embassy was represented by the Gates of Agony and Brian Cage going against the Elite, who were represented by 
Hangman Page and the Young Bucks. The Mogul Embassy would regain their ROH six-man tag team championships by pinfall thanks to Swerve Strickland interfering when Swerve will come out on the ramp and he would taunt Hangman Page because Swerve broke into Hangman's house last week. So with Hangman seeing Swerve on the stage, he would literally tag out and he would rush up to Swerve and you would see those two just basically run to the back. So with the Young Bucks having down to face the Mogul Embassy all by themselves, it would turn into a three on two and the Mogul Embassy would win when Brian Cage and the Gates of Agony would hit a series of moves onto Nick Jackson to win the match. Now, after the match, you would see Matt Jackson being pissed off. He's livid. He goes over to the timekeeper area, flip their table, uh, slide the bell off the table, grab a chair, hit the legs of the table, hit the ring post. And I mean, Matt Jackson is just livid. He's not happy. He's angry. And we will get more of this later. And I'll mention that in a minute. Also, in the back, you will see Heyman Page and Swerve doing battle backstage and it will be announced later in the night that Swerve and Hangman will be going against one another in their rematch at full gear. There was not no stipulation added to it. I think that there will be one because they still got time to build up for it, but I think there's going to be a stipulation added. If not, another singles match between the two. I'm not mad at it, but I would think for someone breaking into your house, you would want to just beat the hell out of them, but uh, we'll wait and see what Tony does. Now, next up, we'll go into the ring for an in-ring interview with Adam Copeland. Adam would mention last week Sting talking to him backstage. Adam would say that him and Sting have been uh, each other's sounding boards for years since both of them have had the same type of surgeries and injuries. Adam would give it up to Darby as well as saying he's one of the top guys who's going to lead this industry into the future. Adam would say that he knows people want to know if he's going to take up Sting and Darby's invitation to join them as their team in their full gear match against Christian Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne. But before Adam could like give an official answer, Christian Cage and his entourage of Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus will come out on the stage. Christian will tell Adam that he plans on retiring Sting whether he wants to or not, and that Darby Allen's arm will never be the same after being suplexed on the stairs at Russell Dream. Christian will tell Adam that he needs to reconsider Sting's invitation to be his partner because if Adam does agree to be their partner, Christian plans on breaking Adam's neck. So you will see Christian then send Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus into the ring and Adam will take care of both Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus. You will see Christian try to come into the ring, sneak attack Adam, but Adam would look at Christian and you would just see those two just stare at one another. Luchasaurus would clothesline Adam behind the head, knocking Adam down. This allowed Nick Wayne to then hit Wayne's World, which is a uh, springboard off the second turnbuckle for a cutter onto Adam. Christian would tell Nick Wayne to grab chairs. Nick would do so, and it seemed that Christian was about to go for a concerto, but Sting and Darby Allen they would come out and make the save for Adam. They'll beat up on Nick Wayne, Luchasaurus, and as you see Darby Allen and Christian uh, in the corner, battling it out with each other. Christian got the upper hand on Darby, but in the rear corner behind Christian, Adam is just stalking and waiting for Christian to turn around so he can hit him with a spear. And once Christian does, Adam would hit him with a spear. Christian would roll out of the rings, holding his ribs, 
and Adam would look at Sting and look at Darby and tell them, you know what, I accept your invitation, I will be your third guy. So at Full Gear, we'll have a trios match of Adam Copeland, Sting, Darby, going against Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne. Everybody knew it was coming. I'm just glad that we finally got there so they keep on playing games. So maybe Adam's doing it, maybe he's not. I'm glad they finally got to it now. So congrats. Now, next up, we get to a 2.0 with Jake Hager going against Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. Uh, Kenny and Jericho would win the match by pinfall when Jericho would hit uh, Angelo Parker or Cool Hand Ange with a Judas effect when Parker was trying to hit Jericho with a baseball bat. Uh, Don Callis' family was at commentary. Don was on commentary, but behind him, you had Kyle Fletcher, Kanosuke Takeshita, and Powerhouse Hobbs just being there. And once the match was over, you saw Don and his family start walking down the ramp. Don will throw out a challenge to Kenny and Chris for a street fight in two weeks on Dynamite. Kenny would say that they accept and that Kota Ibushi will be by their side when they do the street fight. Don would tell Kenny that your math still isn't good because you're still one man short. And Chris would take the mic and he would tell Don that, listen, you have a big man and powerhouse Hobbs with you, but he's not a giant. And then we would get Paul White's music hitting, formerly known as Big Show. Paul White will come out on the stage, he's geared up, and Kyle Fletcher, he would run over to Paul White. Paul White would knock out Fletcher with one punch. So we got our eight-man tag match made for, I believe, two weeks on Dynamite in a street fight. Don Callis' family going against Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, Cody Ibushi, and Paul White. Now we go backstage, and this is what I was talking about with Matt Jackson being pissed off. You would see Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega with the Young Bucks in, I believe they said this was the Elite's locker room. And Kenny and Jericho, they're talking with Renee Paquette. Matt Jackson will walk over, and he would question Kenny and ask him, what was he doing here? What's this prick doing here? The Young Bucks haven't forgot what Jericho did to his father a couple years ago. And this was talking about the build-up to Jericho and MGF going against the Young Bucks at Revolution. I believe it was in 2021. So you see the Bucks haven't forgotten about that. Um, also, they would mention how how basically the Elite came back together, but somehow nobody's basically by each other's sides. And he's talking about how Kenny didn't rush down to the Young Bucks whenever the Young Bucks needed help against the Gates of Agony and Brian Cage. And Matt would say, hey, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. There's no heat here. But he's clearly upset. He's clearly pissed. And he will leave the locker room. So we might be getting more of the Young Bucks being upset and them like probably turning heel. I'm not mad at that because Matt Jackson, he's not really a good like baby face. I think the time for the Young Bucks to be baby faces, good guys, in other words, are over. They're, they work better as bad guys. I mean, in the first initial run, it's AEW as good guys. Yeah, it worked. But they work better as bad guys. We've seen it, and it just needs to be that way. Kenny Omega, he could be a good guy because he got favor with the people. But no. Nah. Matt Jackson, him specifically, I think people like to boo him more because he has more of a booish style of... Just character persona. Nick Jackson, people like him because he's able to work in the ring. He's able to wrestle and do the high-flying kicks and everything that is popularized right now. So 
Um, with Matt just basically being the mouthpiece for the Young Bucks, I think the Young Bucks are going to be turning heel, and I'm not mad at that in the slightest, to be honest. Now, next up, we go to an AEW Women's Championship match. You have Hukara Shida going against Willow Nightingale. Shida would win the match by pinfall by hitting the katana for the win. After the match, Shida would help Willow to her feet, and they would shake hands and hug each other. Um, solid match between both of the ladies. The biggest takeaway I took away from this was that Willow Nightingale, she's no longer like having the black little streaks underneath her eyes, the same streaks that uh, she was wearing with Sky Blue the past couple weeks because she got misted by Julia Hart. So you no longer see that under her eye anymore. It seems that the evil or the influence that Julia was trying to put on Willow got taken away from this. Um, but again, solid match between Sheeta and uh, Willow. After the match, as I said, they did the whole hugging, shaking hands bit. Tony Storm will come out, and she'll be on the stage. And Sheeta's just had enough of this. She's tired of Tony constantly just being the center of attention after every single one of her matches. So you will see Sheeta leave the ring, run up the ramp, and get at Tony, hit her with a knee. And then didn't chase her to the back. Now, once this action happens, the lights will go out. And once they pop back on, Willow Nightingale was in the ring with Julia Hart. Julia Hart, she would extend her hand out to Willow. And Sky Blue, she would run down to the ring. And she would get in Julia's face. Now, at this moment, as I said earlier, uh, Willow and Sky, they had the blue, like, Black streaks on her eye. Willow doesn't have it no more, but Sky Blue, she does, and she has it more running down her face. And it seems to me, and it seems to everybody, that Sky Blue was going to join with uh, Julia because you saw Sky Blue get in Julia's face. Julia would head nod at Sky, and Sky would turn around and look at Willow, and it seemed that Sky was going to attack Willow, but she doesn't. She instead turns back to Julia and miss Julia in her face. With blue mist. Julia will have to run out of the ring and hold her face because she can't believe what Sky did to her. And that's it. So it seems that Sky Blue and Julia Hart, their continuation of their feud still going. And again, I'm not mad at it because you give more women on the AEW women's roster some time on television. You give them more storylines for people to care about. I like that. That's all anybody could ask for whenever you were watching professional wrestling, especially when you got the death of wrestlers that AEW has, they need to have some TV time for people to care about them, especially your women's division. You can't just always be having these select people just being representing for a division, for the women's division especially. So I'm glad that Willow, Sky, Julia, Chris Atlander, uh, Hikaru Shida, Tony Storm, even Abaddon, who Abaddon went against Shida at Collision. I'm glad all these individuals are getting time to shine on the screen. I'm glad for that. Now, we will go to our main event, the eight-man tag. Bullet Club Gold going against MGF and three partners, and the three partners would eventually end up being the Acclaim. And the thing was, for the Acclaim to be MGF's tag partners, there will be two conditions. One, MGF would have to do the scissors with the Acclaim. And two, MGF would have to wear what's ever in a bag that Max Caster gave to MGF. And what was inside the bag was nothing but pink gear pink gear that fit mgf like attire so you had mgf's attire but just basically pink including the pink burberry 
uh, type scarf that MJF would have for his entrance. So we get this eight man tag, and Bullet Club Gold, they will win. It was kind of an obvious thing. Uh, the ending results would be whenever MJF finally gets the tag, and it seems that he's finally going to get his hands on Jay White, the same man that he's been trying to get his hands on throughout the whole match, but he just couldn't. So when MJF finally gets in there, he's finally about to get at Jay White. Jay White would dip out of the ring. Uh, Juice Robinson would come in. The guns would come in. MJF would take out all of them, and he even does the kangaroo kick onto the guns. But Jay White, he would come in, hit Blade Runner on MGF, pin him, one, two, three. So MGF never really did get his hands on Jay, but Jay was able to get one clean shot on MGF, and that's the one that he needed to win the match. So we have that after the match. You see uh, Bullet Club Gold pick up MGF, and it seems that Jay White's about to hit MGF in the head with the AEW World title, but Max Caster and the Acclaim, they will come in, beat up on Bullet Club Gold, and it's now still down to Jay White and MGF in the ring. Jay White's waiting for MGF to get up on his own two feet so he can hit him in the head still with the AEW World title. And once MGF does get to his feet, Max Caster, he would roll into the ring, push MGF out of the way when Jay's running towards him, and Jay would hit Max Caster. Now, you will see MGF and Anthony Bowles look at Max Caster on the mat, and J.Y., he would roll out of the ring with the guns, and as they were walking up the ramp, you would see all of the acclaim, Billy Gunn and Anthony Bowles look after Max Caster, MGF going over to Max to see if he's okay and good, because now you start to see that MGF kind of does care for Max Caster, even though he was trying to stay away from Max Caster literally the whole entire match and even the whole entire evening. But for Max Caster to take the bullet for MJF, he's showing some type of sympathy and some type of empathy for Max. And he's looking over at Max's body, seeing if Max is okay. Max would throw up the scissor signs to MJF because that's the only thing MJF hasn't done yet. He hasn't scissored the acclaim. And MJF would slap Max's hand down and you would get the audible boos from the fans, but... Billy Gunn, he wouldn't take it. He would walk over to Max and start going into daddy mode and start yelling at Max saying, you are going to shake. No, you're going to do the scissor motion. You're going to scissor us because Max took the belt shot for you, MGF. He took that shot. So you got to do this, whether you like it or not. So MGF, against his own better judgment, he would. He would go over to the corner. He would throw his hands up in the air and the scissor. And we all get the scissor. We get MGF scissoring with the acclaim. And that's how Dynamite would end. I like that we had that progression throughout the whole night of MGF constantly turning down the acclaim. And then ultimately having to pick the acclaim as his tag partners. We all knew what was going to happen. But I did like the segments here that we got. But also, the biggest thing that we constantly got taken away for, at least I did, was that MGF is trying to steer clear of Samoa Joe. Because he knows Samoa Joe is the guy that probably could take the title away from him. That's the guy that he most fears, besides like a warlord that came out of nowhere. But Samoa Joe, a guy that was willing to be your tag partner but just wants a rematch, you're not trying to have that guy be your tag partner? That shows you the type of fear you truly have for someone. But again, Dynamite, it was a good show. It was great. Now, with that being said, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights 
of the week. Now we move over to SmackDown. SmackDown would open up with LA Knight coming to the ring. LA Knight is out here to talk about how he plans on taking the WWE Championship away from Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel and how he plans on taking everything away from Roman because LA Knight feels that it is his time. So when he says this, out walks the WWE Universal Heavyweight Champion Roman Reigns and his special counsel, well, Paul Heyman. Uh, Roman will get in the ring and he will have this to say to LA Knight. A lot's changed around here. I take my time to leave, and I expect people to step up, but I didn't think it was ever going to be you. But you did something to catch the attention of these people. You managed your time wisely, and you got all these people on your side. I give you credit for that. It's not easy in this day and age. Go ahead and chant his name. Because this is the last night that's gonna happen. Like I said, I've advanced this business. You seem like you're setting us back. I pushed us forward all the way to the big screen. The kids, what they, what they say now, Paul? What they call what I do? They call this cinema. I turned this business into a billion dollar industry, a multi-billion dollar industry. I've done everything you can do. And what have you done? Huh? What, what, what have you done around here for the past few months? The only thing you've done is get him to chant your name and what? Cosplay a redneck version of my cousin? This is my island of relevancy. So take this night and enjoy it because tomorrow I'm going to smash you. We're going in you. They ain't ever going to chant your name. They're not going to know who you are. You're going to disappear. Because when I'm done, we're going to leave you in the desert. But don't worry. You won't be the last one. You got to be feeling pretty unbeatable right now, don't you? I mean, let's face it. You've beaten everybody, haven't you? You've beaten just about everybody that stood in front of you. But you don't understand. I ain't coming at you from the same angle that everybody else did. You don't understand. I'm not here to finish something. You don't understand. I'm here to start something. Yeah. I'm here to start the L.A. Night era. So you want to talk about cosplaying, I'm going to cosplay the guy who's going to kick your ass at Crown Jewel. Matter of fact, I ain't going to cosplay it. I'm going to live it. You come in here and you talk about Megastar. You want to mock that. I tell you what, man, you've done an amazing job. You've made yourself damn near a Megastar, but only because you carry that title. I'm the Megastar because I live it every damn day. So I'm going to put it to you like this. You talk about leaving me in the desert. I will tell you one more time, I don't do warning shots. So make sure if you're going to take your shot, make sure you leave me. Make sure I'm good and done. Because if you don't, I will come back and I will find you. And the only bloodline that will be visible will be running right down between your eyes while you hear him say, and new WWE Champion, L.A. Knight. Yeah. Now, with both of them getting that off of their chest, you will see both of them start getting each other's face. You will have security come to the ring to separate both men. Roman Reigns would shove LA Knight. LA Knight would shove Roman. And that's the last you will see of both of these men because they have to get themselves ready for their upcoming title match against one another at Crown Jewel. This was the last preparation to get people anticipated and excited to see them wrestle at Crown Jewel. Um, I think it's going to be a good match, but I'll wait to get my predictions towards the end of the show. 
But it was a great segment from both of uh, LA Knight and Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns, he gave Knight his props for getting the people to love him because he admits that's not an easy task. But he does call him a redneck version of his cousin. So with that respect, you get some disrespect at the same time. Knight, he took it like a pro, but he was actually able to withstand it and just, again, just proves why he is one of the guys that people like because even with... LA Knight still doing his whole yeah shtick. He got the people with him. He got the people still doing the yeah. He got the people feeling what he's saying. And people do want LA Knight to win. But again, I'll get more into that in the predictions. So, great last impression from Knight and Roman Reigns here. Now, next up, we get to our first match of the night. Kevin Owens going against Austin Theory. Grayson Waller will be our commentator for this match. Kevin Owens would win the match by pinfall by hitting a pop-up powerbomb. Then a stunner for the win. The reason why this match even came about is that last week, Kevin Owens, he would punch both uh, Grayson Waller and Austin Theory at the exact same time in a backstage uh, segment. So it seems that Kevin Owens is having a problem with Grayson Waller and Austin Theory. And when he hit Theory with the stunner, he pinned Theory and he looked at Waller, who was on commentary, and he just stared at him. So I think next week we're going to get Grayson Waller going against Kevin Owens on SmackDown, and I think it's going to be a good match, to be completely honest. I think this was going to happen, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, next up, we will have Chelsea Green and Piper Niven going against Shotzi and Charlotte Flair. Shotzi and Charlotte would win the match by pinfall when Charlotte would hit Chelsea with a big boot. So I think this now gives Chelsea and Piper more competition for those WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. I think Shotzi and Charlotte might try to go after them next. Because now you got Shashi and Charlotte going after the titles. You always are going to have Natalia and probably somebody else that wants to go after those tag team titles as much as Chelsea and Piper have been really just going after Natalia. Um, you got Alba Fire and Aladon who want to go after those tag team titles. So the women tag team titles are starting to get on a streak, a hot streak right now. And I don't think anybody's having a problem with it. So this just adds one more team to the fire for those tag titles now next up we will get an in-ring segment here it's solo Sokoa with paul Heyman. paul would be in the ring talk up solo saying that roman reigns turns to solo when it's time for things to get done calling him the enforcer and that one day solo will take up the mantle when the time is right to be the head of the table and on his way to becoming that he needs to have a bodies of basically victims and how John Cena will be one of them, be one of the biggest fish, because Solo plans on victimizing John Cena at Crown Jewel. Solo would stop Paul from talking, and Solo would tell Paul that he's not here to speak to the crowd. It's John Cena that they want, so John Cena will come to the ring. I'm pissed off I gotta wait till tomorrow to fight you, but I got orders from the tribal chief, and those orders was to give you this microphone, so you can say goodbye to them while you still can. Because come tomorrow, you won't be able to. That's it? Do you realize who you're in the ring with? We've been waiting for you to talk for over a year, and that's all you bring to the table? Oh, 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 oh man. I can do this with half a voice, and it's only going to take 90 seconds to cook you. I'm going to say goodbye. I'm going to say goodbye, but I'm not going to say goodbye to them. I'm going to say goodbye for them. We all know 
The only reason you got a job here is because of your cousin. And we all see you, homie, walking around thinking you're some big badass enforcer when you're nothing but a bargain basement Taz ripoff. So do me a solid solo. Tape your thumb up extra tight. Because the only place that's getting stuck tomorrow is straight up your ass. Yeah, it's about 90 seconds. So with John Cena getting done cooking solo, he would leave the ring. And this is the last time you see John Cena trying to get uh, the crowd motivated to see him going against solo at Crown Jewel. And I feel that it worked because people are wondering, is this going to be the last time you see John Cena? Because again, the whole actors strike and everything else going down in Hollywood, you don't know when that's going to clear up or not. Um, this was a good segment here. John Cena, he's still still in the effects from Solo giving him the Samoa Spike last week on SmackDown. And him coming out here and just coming out and talking in a sore uh, voice, it just makes everything perfect. Because John Cena, in 90 seconds or less, if you will, he was able to still fry up Solo in a way that, listen, he called him a bottom bargain bin version of Taz. And people know what Taz, who he is. If you watch ECW or even just go through YouTube and just type in Taz ECW, his promo skills, Taz was a beast. He just was unfiltered. He was just an angry man. And in the ring, he was an angry, pissed off guy. Even though he wasn't the biggest guy, he was still able to throw you around and do everything that he felt like. Same way with Solo. Solo's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's still like able to throw you around and do whatever he wants to you. But Solo hasn't equipped, at least in WWE right now that we've seen, the skills to make people fear him, which I'm hoping that he is able to showcase that soon in WWE. I'm hoping that this thing with John will allow people to want Solo to be menacing, even though he's menacing in the ring, but menacing on the mic. Um, but John Cena, he made a nice comparing of Taz, even though it was a bargain-based version of Taz, but Solo is like a Taz. But, um, yeah, Solo, John, I'm, I think they're going to have a great match at Crown Jewel. As I said, I'll get more into the predictions whenever that time comes. But I did like this segment from John and Solo. And the one thing I am asking, next time John has a segment with a young guy that he has to go into a match with, please don't allow John Cena to cook someone because that's not good. It's just going to have the crowd just more saying that person isn't ready. So, that's just my thing on that. But again, great segment. But just take that away from it. Stop having John Cena cook these guys. Stop it. Now, next up, we would have the Brawling Brutes going against Pretty Deadly in a, a good old-fashioned Donnybrook match. It's basically a no-holds-barred, anything-goes style match here. But you had, like, uh, bar stools. You had uh, kegs. You had bottles. Just everything was going on. Pretty Deadly and the Brawling Brutes, they had a great tag team, uh, no holes barred match here. They used everything. They used the barrels. They used the stools. They used everything they can against one another. Uh, Pretty Deadly would come out as the victors in this match when Kit, Wilson, and Butch were fighting on the top turnbuckle. And Elton Prince would smash a bottle over the head of Butch. And this allowed Pretty Deadly to hit Butch with an avalanche spilt milk through a table to win the match. So, again... Solid match between the two. If you haven't seen it, I would suggest go and watch it because I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy yourself with that. 
Now, next up, we would go backstage for the weigh-in between the United States Champion Rey Mysterio and Logan Paul for their upcoming match at Crown Jewel for the United States Championship. You would do this. Uh, they would get in each other's face after they get their official weigh-in. Ray and Logan would talk smack to each other. Logan, he would uh, tap Ray on the head like a little kid. Ray would slap Logan in the face and then hit him in the head with the microphone. And you just have security, like, keeping Ray and Jake, well, not Jake, God, Logan, um, away from each other. And that's basically the segment here. Again, this is a way just to get people interested in talking about Logan and Ray. I think they're going to have a great match, too. But, again, I'll get more into that. I think a lot of these matches on Crown Jewel is going to be good. But, again, I'll get more into that as prediction time will come up. Now, main event, Bianca Belair going against Bailey. Damage Control will be barred from ringside because early in the night, Bianca Belair would have a backstage interview. Damage Control would attack Bianca. Nick Aldis would have to come in with a couple of referees to separate all the ladies. So this would make Nick decide for Damage Control to be barred from Bailey's match with Bianca. So we get to it. Main event time. Bianca Belair would win the match by pinfall, hitting the KOD for the win. Now, in this match, you will see Bailey, as she has done in previous matches with Bianca, constantly go after the braid. Grab the braid. You make sure that Bianca couldn't move so much because if you grab the braid, you have the person's head, and that means you control their body where they're going to go. So that was Bailey's whole strategy here, and it ultimately would lead to her de- de- like demise because Bianca would, in the end, grab hold of her braid after Bailey kept grabbing it so much and actually strike Bailey in the midsection, the stomach, with it, and then hit the KOD. Now, this is the first time I've seen Bianca actually use her braid in some time. And I understand she's been going for about like a month, but I'm talking about even during her reign as champion, I don't remember her using the braid like that much since she was champion. So I'm glad she's back to using the braid as a weapon here. And it's fitting that she used it on Bailey because Bailey's an annoying uh, heel. So why not just hit a heel with your braid? Why not? Now, after the match, you would see Bianca in the ring, standing on her feet, celebrating. And then she would see Bailey outside of the ring uh, next to the commentary table, trying to stand up on her own two feet. Bianca would leave the ring, go over to Bailey, and smash Bailey through the commentary table with the KOD. And that's how SmackDown will end. So, Bianca has taken care of Bailey. That's one part of her plan. Now, at Crown Jewel, she has to take on Eos Guy for the WWE Women's Championship. And hopefully, uh, those two will have a one-on-one matchup and may the best woman win in that match. Now, with that being said, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into AEW Rampage, and which will start off with a three-way matchup between Penta, Commander, and... Elvin Kingo, Penta would win the match by pinfall, hitting Commander with Zero Fear, which is a package pile driver on top of the body of Vinkingo for the win. Three luchadors doing uh, Lucha Libre in this match. You have Commander, who's a high flyer. You have Vinkingo, who's a high flyer. You have Penta, who isn't much of a high flyer, but he can be, but he displayed power in this thing. But all three of them come from the Lucha Libre background. This was a Lucha Libre style match. I don't think anybody had a problem with it. A lot of people uh, actually liked this match because it got enough time from all three of the competitors. But in the end, 
uh, Penta would win. And during the match, you would see uh, QT Marshall, who is the Lucha, no, not Lucha, the Latin American, AAA Latin American champion, backstage with his crew. So it might be Penta going against uh, QT Marshall for the AAA Latin American championship, probably on one of the AEW shows, probably maybe next week. Maybe. Time will tell. Uh, next up, we will have the Guns with Jay White and Juice Robinson in their corner going against Christopher Daniels and Matt Seidel. Uh, the Guns would win their match by pinfall by hitting 310 to Yuma on Matt Seidel for the win. So the Guns gain some momentum as they go against MJF in their upcoming match for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Titles at full gear soon. Now, the next matchup was Sky Blue going against Marina Shafir, who will have Nyla Rose in her corner. Sky Blue would win the match by pinfall, hitting Code Blue for the win. Now we go to our main event. It is Daniel Garcia going against Trent Beretta. Daniel Garcia would win the match by submission, by locking in a headlock, by pulling it back. So it basically a pullback headlock to win the match. He did this after he executed a pile driver. Uh, Trent Beretta has already had... Uh, neck surgeries before, so he has neck issues, so Daniel Garcia would just basically target the head and neck area towards the end of the match with the pile driver in the uh, pullback headlock, so that's the reason why Daniel Garcia got to win over Trent Beretta here. Now, after the match, Daniel Garcia would get a microphone, and he would say that he has been keeping track of time, and he would make notice, well, make mention that he hasn't had a singles match in AEW for over six months, and with this win over Trent, he realizes that he has only one way to basically climb the ranks here in AEW, and that's winning championship gold, and Daniel Garcia will proceed to call out the biggest dog in AEW, which is the AEW World Champion, MJF. Daniel Garcia will tell MJF that he wants that world championship, and he knows that he has a lot of people gunning for him, but if MJF wants to test himself against the greatest pro wrestler, and before he even finished saying wrestler, he catches himself because he's supposed to be a sports entertainer. So now he has that decision. Again, conflicting decision that he had to make a year ago, whether he's a professional wrestler or sports entertainer. Daniel Garcia will say that he is a sports entertainer. So if MGF wants to compete against one of the best sports entertainer, you know where to find him. And then he will end Rampage by doing his dance. So that's your Rampage uh, wrestling highlights of the week, and I like that Daniel Garcia is throwing his hat into the ring with all these other competitors, and we can get MJF probably on a rampage, or we can get Daniel Garcia on a dynamite or a collision. So either way, with these shows with MJF on them, I don't care. I'm cool with that. I think a lot of people are cool with that too. But again, we still got to go through the Jay White, the Samoa Joe, Warlow path. And I think Daniel Garcia just might be one of those little speed bumps on that path with that. So, we'll wait and see. Now, as I said, that was your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I get you guys out of here, I got to give you guys my uh, Crown Jewel predictions. Because Crown Jewel is happening today at 1 o'clock. If you're listening to this episode early in the morning. Well, 1 o'clock over here on uh, the Eastern Time Zone. Look up your other time zone if you're in the other time zones. You, you know the deal. But um, Crown Jewels today, so let me give you my re- predictions for it. For the Women's Championship, Io Sky going against Bianca Belair. I think Io is retaining it. Bianca just came back. I understand they want to put her in a championship uh, match since she never got her official one-on-one rematch for her championship. 
Uh, I don't think she's going to win it. I think they're going to keep it on EO, and that's just my thing with that. I think damage control is going to somehow uh, interfere. Even though Bailey got took out, you still got Dakota Kai, and I think with Dakota Kai uh, helping EO out by hitting Bianca with some type of move because Dakota has been out for a good portion of this year, and her getting back into in-ring action by attacking Bianca Belair, whether with a crutch or with a weapon here, I think it'll be a good move. So I'm saying EO to retain her championship. John Cena versus Solo Sokoa. With the impending uh, SAG after stuff still going on in Hollywood, I don't know how long we got John Cena in WWE. So it'll be a great thing for John Cena to give the win to Solo. But John Cena has been mentioning that he hasn't had a win in over some odd years in singles matches. So I can see them giving this to John for John to have that great story. So, you know what? Screw it. I'm going with John Cena. Cody Rose, Damian Priest. Cody's supposed to have a bum leg. And again, is a one-legged man in a, uh ass-kicking contest with a man that has both good legs against Damian Priest here. It's going to be crazy if they give Cody the win, but Cody's back on his uh, track to finish his story. So, I'm going with Cody, and if Damian Priest does win this, it's not bad for Cody because, again, Cody has a bum leg. But if Cody wins this, it's going to look bad on Damian Priest, and I think this is going to lead into Judgment Day members kind of questioning Priest. Rhea is still going to hold some type of autonomy over Priest, saying you couldn't even finish the job on Cody Rhodes. What makes you think you could cash in your money in the bank briefcase on anybody right now? So I think that would give that some type of autonomy here. Oh, yeah, and by the way, I don't think Priest is cashing in at Crown Jewel. Just let that be known right now. So I'm going with Cody. But if they give it to Priest, I don't think it's going to be bad here. But I think storyline-wise, I think it would be better if they give it to Cody here and have Damian Priest still have his conflicting feelings with Rhea inserting herself and the leadership role as Judgment Day. That's just my thing with that. Rey Mysterio, Logan Paul for United States Championship. I'm going with Logan. I'm going with Logan Paul, even though I don't like the man personally. Him in the WWE ring, him in a professional wrestling, he has, uh, he has shown skills that takes people years to have. Logan Paul has been able to do what he needed to do. He's been able to hang with some of the best in the world, with the Seth Rollins, with the Rey Mysterio, with the Ricochet, even with Roman Reigns last year at Crown Jewel. Logan Paul was able to hang with them, even though you still had the pros, which which I just didn't name like all the pros that he went against, probably leading the match. They can leave the match all they want, but you still got to follow and hang with them. Logan Paul was still able to hang, and I think that's what's going to happen here with Ray. Ray's going to lead the match. Logan's going to follow him, and they're going to do their business, and I think that's going to be one of the great matches at Crown Jewel, to be honest. But in the end, I think Logan Paul is going to win by nefarious actions, and he's going to become the new United States champion. Now, Rhea Ripley defending her Women's World Championship in a fatal five-way against Nia Jax, Shayna, Zoe, and Raquel. Rhea Ripley, I don't think I need to go into this so much because if you give it to any of the other four women, Denaya, Shayna, Zoe, or Raquel, what's going to happen? Like, let's be honest here. Rhea is the female Roman Reigns for that division. And unlike Roman, if you give that title to any other women in that division right now, it's not going to mean as much because they are not on the television as much as Rhea Ripley. They're not in dominant presence of a storyline as much as Rhea at the moment. So, it just be a null factor. You got to build up the challengers for 
them to dethrone the champion. And none of these four women have a great build right now to take the title off of Ray Ripley. I'm just going to be straight buck fifth, 100 right now. Ray Ripley, retaining her title off of that alone because none of these other challengers right here have credible uh, momentum going into this match, just to be completely honest. Seth Rollins going against Drew McIntyre for the World Heavyweight Championship match. This one could easily be a back-and-forth situation. You could have Seth carrying the World Heavyweight Championship once again into another month, or you could have Drew beating Seth and have him actually win in front of people and be the new World Heavyweight Champion. I don't know. Again, this one's a 50-50 for me. My, For me, for the character of Drew McIntyre, constantly saying he's been screwed, I can see... Seth winning this because Judgment Day member, either Damian Priest or Rhea Ripley coming out there to inadvertently or advertently help Seth out and make uh, Seth win the title and retain the title over Drew and make it seem that Seth is joining the Judgment Day. Drew just gets pissed off. Claymore kicks Drew and, well, Seth and Drew constantly goes on this, they're screwing me tour the same way that Bret Hart was doing in 1997, because Drew McIntyre is doing the Bret Hart. That's just what it is. Drew McIntyre is doing the Bret Hart in 1997. I'm getting screwed constantly, left and right, and I just am not able to get over it. So, for character-wise, I have no problem if Seth retains, but for the man, the person behind Drew McIntyre, the character, the man that got robbed out of winning a world title in front of thousands of people, um, if Drew McIntyre wins this, I think this will kind of make up for it because you're winning it in Saudi Arabia. Yes, it's not America, but it's in front of a lot of people in a stadium, per se. So you can kind of move a couple things around. Yes, sure, it's not WrestleMania, but you still win it in front of a big amount of people. So, ugh. Character-wise, I'm going for it. Seth Rollins. Uh, main event. Undisputed WWE Championship, Roman Reigns, LA Knight, Roman Reigns. That's simple. Roman Reigns is going to win this. I think that he's going to give LA Knight a good match in the main event because LA Knight is one of the guys that's up next at bat to go against Roman, and people want LA Knight to succeed. I think everybody knows LA Knight isn't winning, but they want him to have a good match against Roman Reigns, and they want LA Knight to come out on the losing end with a... Scent smelling like roses. Coming out looking good instead of looking like a piece of trash. That's what I'm trying to get with this. And I think that's what Roman's going to accomplish with LA Knight. And I think that's what LA Knight's going to accomplish with Roman in their match here. It takes two to tango. And I think both of them's going to hold up their part of the deal for this match. So Roman Reigns retaining his title against LA Knight. And I think this is going to be uh, the road for LA Knight to go on to another championship, probably the United States title, because everybody's saying that LA Knight might go against Logan at the next WrestleMania or the next biggest uh, pay-per-view of the Big Four, which is Royal Rumble. No, no, it's Survivor Series, but Logan's not dropping that Survivor Series, so probably Royal Rumble. If not that, WrestleMania. We can build it up for LA Knight to go against Logan at WrestleMania for the United States title. We can do that there, too, but have this match be catapulting LA Knight into the stratosphere have people look at LA Knight still be the megastar and give him what he needs so he can proceed into uh, the future world champion when his time is officially at hand. So, again, Roman Reigns wins WWE uh, Undisputed 
Universal Championship or aka the WWE title retaining. Now, with that being said, you will get my review of Crown Jewel tomorrow along with my usual Sunday episode. So you have double dose of Sunday episodes tomorrow. So expect that. Now, with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. If you did not listen to my Wednesday podcast, which is the Midweek Breakdown, go and listen to that now. Have a chance to. I think you'll like the song at the end of it. I personally did. It wasn't something I expected to like when I first listened to it, but once I heard it, I loved it, and I think you guys will enjoy it too. But, um, yeah. Now, again, with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I love you all. Please have a great, safe week. Uh, again, tune in tomorrow for the Crown Jewel review and also my Sunday episode. But if you don't, you'll hear from me again next Saturday. Have a safe week. <laughs>